All right. Torn and I are back together to have some discussion. Um, huh. All right, Torin, this, this topic uh, weighs on me all the time and more so the last, I don't know, maybe six months to a year because it comes up all the time um, in terms of feelings and that terminology, emotional regulate, self-regulate, motion regulation. Like I wanted to talk about it because I just find there's a lot of pressure for young children and children in general and teens, but young children to be able to recognize their emotions and other people's emotions while they are growing and developing. And most adults can't recognize their own emotions and other people's emotions and respond appropriately. Um, that's a very, very high level skill, um, in my opinion, but also as a child development specialist, they're young children, right? And so to be able to not cry or not be upset or not respond to your emotion, I think is um, unreasonable. But I also think it's uh, just, I don't want to say it's mean, I just never understand, like, even like if I cry about something, or if I get upset about something, and people will say things like, oh, don't let it bother you, or, you know, don't be sad. I just think one of the wonderful things about being a human being is, is that we have a range of emotions that we can feel and express. And I don't understand why we're supposed to always appear to be happy and joyous, and why we can't express when things are frustrating or sad. But... We're talking about emotional regulation, the expectations for our children and the strategies that are being implemented. What are your thoughts on emotional regulation? Do you feel like you regulate your emotions well as an adult? Uh, I, I do an okay job, not as good as I'd like. But the thing that everything needs to be pre uh, prefaced by is when people talk about emotional regu regulation in autistic kids, when they talk about anything generally involving emotion and autism, what they mean is how much regulating how the child's autism affects everyone else around them. Yeah. That's, that's basically what they're saying. So when they say you need to work on emotional regulation, what they're saying is your emotion, it's saying to the autistic person, your emotions are messing with me in some way, shape, or form. So you need to regulate that because I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. So let's just, which in and of itself is not necessarily a problem, but let's call a spade a spade. That's what it mm -hmm. is. Because yes. most kids don't have control of their emotions, but most kids don't have full-on meltdowns. Yeah, yes. Most kids don't require, um, neurotypical kids or autistic kids don't rely, don't require a lot of, uh, sensory regulation, things like mm -hmm. that, more than more than a little bit. So what we're really talking about is how does it affect people around them, which is important because meltdowns will have an effect on people around you. Yes. Constant tantrums and crying will have an effect on people around you. Yes. So that isn't a bad thing, but I think that's what we need to focus on. And and I, you know, when you said that, it reminded me of when I hear teachers say. Um, you know, they need to self-regulate because they're disrupting the class, right? Or parents will say they are disrupting the church service or disrupting the dinner, family dinner, which totally get it. We all want to have a peaceful dinner, peaceful classroom, peaceful church experience, peaceful community experiences. 
and I am going to go to my my go-to statement, but then we're going to talk about and dig a little bit because I know I sometimes make it sound so simple, but I really do think from a teacher's perspective, from a parent perspective, if we're as proactive as possible, then we don't have as many disruptions. Not saying that we won't have meltdowns, but also as a parent, as an educator, in general, children are just disruptive human beings just because they're children and developing, right? So children cry, children whine, children you know, interrupt you when they need to go to the bathroom. I mean, in general, <laughs> children disrupt our lives, right? Uh, so setting them up for success in certain environments can help minimize the disruption. But my uh, frustration um, around the expectation and demand for emotional regulation for young children is the focus on you always have to be on green. And that even goes into that red, yellow, green uh, uh behavior chart, right? Like we're always supposed to be happy. We're always supposed to be on good behavior. And I just think that's unrealistic, but I also think that our emotions change within a five minute period. They can change within a 30 minute period. And I remember being taught that emotional regulation chart that, you know, are you on red? Are you on green? You want to get to green and red and, you know, all these things and, and, and understanding and identifying where you are, um, and I get it, but at the same time, as I've grown to understand and mature professionally, it didn't make a lot of sense back then, but it was concrete. But now that I know more, I just get frustrated because people are really expecting three-year-olds who, whether you're autistic or not, toddlers are literally an emotional, dysregulated, discombobulated human being, right? Because they're growing, they're changing, and... Um, they're toddlers. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what else to say. Yeah, that's, well, autistic kids, unfortunately, are always held to a bit of a higher standard mm -hmm. than behaviorally than mm -hmm. neurotypical kids, which I, I don't know why. It's a weird dichotomy mm -hmm. where we're expected to, excuse me, Jesus. I apologize, everyone who had to hear that right into the mic. <laughs> Autistic kids are held to a higher standard, even though we're our diagnosis criteria is based off what we can't do, yet mm -hmm. we're somehow held to a higher standard in certain things like behavior, which mm -hmm. I, I never quite understood. Mm -hmm. I, I think it comes from because the really bad days can be really bad, mm -hmm. like with meltdowns, that's always held against us. The potential yes. for a meltdown, potential mm -hmm. for a really bad, disruptive day for everyone around us. Mm -hmm. basically makes it that we're expected to be perfect. Yes. We're yes. as close to perfect as possible because our our uh, downside is so high for lack mm -hmm. of a better word. So are you are you thinking in terms of uh, with that higher expectation if there are, you know, two toddlers in line at the grocery store and a toddler who does not have a diagnosis of autism has a tantrum because mom won't get them candy but the child who um, is autistic is expected to <laughs> regulate themselves and get it together. And the other toddler, they just say, oh, they're just toddlers. But the autistic child, it's like, you need to calm down. You need to get it together. However, the other child who does not have a diagnosis 
it's just thrown it, into it's not because odds are that autistic child has had a meltdown at some point, which is worse than tantrum usually. Mm -hmm. And as yes. a result, unfortunately, autistic people, and this does not happen just to kids, this happens to adults. I've dealt with this. Mm -hmm. You're always judged by the worst day you've ever had. Yeah. I don't know why, but you will always be judged by the worst day. I've had meltdowns in college that I had quote unquote friends, people I don't really hang out with anymore, who still either make fun of me or remind me of of one particular time, one mm -hmm. time in particular where I had meltdown after I after I swallowed about four times a normal dose of Adderall, long story. But mm -hmm. they still remind me of that you're held to the standard of the worst day of your life. Mm -hmm. So for a toddler, whenever they had their last meltdown, that's the worst day, that's the standard they're being held to. So it's like, you can't even come close to that. You have to be perfect. And you know what I just thought of, Torin, in our, our one of our previous discussions um, in regards to the expectation for emotional regulation is based on the adults not wanting, wanting to be inconvenienced or feel uncomfortable because of a previous experience. And it reminded me of you know, what we talked about in terms of how that reflects on you as a parent, right? People are looking at you, family's looking at you, everyone's looking at you, and possibly because your child has a diagnosis, um, the standard is higher by default because they, other family members sometimes don't agree with the diagnosis or don't believe the diagnosis or just think, you know, in some cultures, you just need to punish and spank them out of it, right? Um, and it's an embarrassing, your kid has a meltdown yeah. supermarket or yeah. you pick your kid up from school and the teacher's like, well, well, uh, Johnny had a meltdown today and wasn't paying attention, like, like yeah. somehow that's your fault even though he's been yeah. in school for nine hours, but yes. somehow that's your fault. Yeah. And having to deal with that. So as a result, you put the pressure on the kid. Yeah, yeah. And I think it also comes a lot from like teachers and educators mm -hmm. who can't, who literally can't afford to deal with that because they have other kids to deal with. Especially when you have uh, inclusion. So a mix of kids with special needs and regular education kids, mm -hmm. because in inclusion, you're not actually given any support. It's more just basically throwing the kid in the deep end and expecting mm -hmm. them to adapt. Mm -hmm. So you really can't have the kid having the meltdown because one teacher for 30 kids. I've been in that situation. It, it sucks. And yeah. as a result, we have to put undue pressure on these kids because they can't, we can't, they can't have a bad day because we, we don't have the resources to manage that bad day. Yeah, which puts really undue which puts undue pressure on the kid, and that's not fair. And also, yeah, sort of warps our therapeutic approaches to things. Yeah, and I think that I think that's a really good point. Um, you know, it doesn't always sit well with me, but I do understand the validity of it. Um, and and it doesn't sit well with me sometimes because I just don't think it should be on the kid. I'm just you know, especially when, like you said, supports are not in place. And, and I know that I have very high standards <laughs> for educators and therapists. And, um, and I'm not saying that meltdowns are not going to occur in, in certain environments, whether it's in therapy or in school. However, you know, I just feel that having an expectation that a child will be able to regulate their emotions 24 seven all the time to meet the expectations and to keep the adult from being um, in discomfort um, really bothers me. I mean, it really does bother me, uh, you know, whether that's right, wrong or indifferent, I understand the dynamics of it all, 
but I am in the business of children and, and my compassion just won't allow me to just say, well, you know, because I think adults need to just, uh, you know what, I'm going to go back to what I always say. If you're empowered as a parent, if you're empowered as a teacher, but as a parent, if you understand your child's needs, then you have that sort of, you know, oomph to be able to say, oh, I forgot to bring the sensory bag. Mm, guess we're having a meltdown today. It sucks, but it is what it is and move on with your day, right? Um, yeah. So um, to your last point, I would argue probably as a parent should have some backups for if you forget the sensory bag, mm -hmm. that there should be some sort of, sort of backup plan because that will happen at some point. Mm -hmm. And that's having a meltdown is not, in, in my opinion, acceptable, just acceptance. Those, yes. They will happen, but you should never just accept that it's going to happen because meltdowns are not only incredibly stressful for parents and caregivers yes. and teachers, they're incredibly stressful for the child as well. Yes. I, I just want to pull that out. Exactly. Emotional. One thing I'd like to say, emotional regulation is very important. Mm -hmm. The reason we both have issues with it is it's seen as basically, hey, stop having a meltdown. Stop melting down. Stop mm -hmm. screaming. Mm -hmm. As opposed to teaching a kid how to regulate how they feel, communicate how they feel in some way, so then their caregivers can then react to that and be able to support the kid. And eventually, as the kid gets older, be able to regulate their own emotions because that will be a skill they have. If yes. something bad happens, I had a kid in high school, we were applying for colleges and this is how much our high school sucked and how little they prepared us. One kid, uh, he forgot to bring a pencil, which I'm dating myself. This is right before everything went online. I'm not that old, <laughs> like 2008. So you could still fill stuff out by pencil. And we, we were filling it out. Kid didn't bring a pencil. No one had an extra pencil kid starts crying. He's a senior in high school. We're applying for colleges. And he starts crying because he couldn't find a pencil or a pen. It was a pen. He needed a pen. Because the school did not prepare him at all. He'd been in the school since he was in kindergarten. They did not prepare him at all to deal with any sort of small reversals. And he mm -hmm. couldn't regulate himself to, you know, not just start crying because there was a incredibly minor setback. Yeah. That is important to learn, to be able to say, okay, to not only be able to think when you have setbacks, but to not melt down because some little thing happened. Yes. That's important. But that is also a high level skill and not something a three, four, five, six, seven, eight year old can always do. Oh yeah, of course. You're not, that takes years. That yes. takes years to develop and yes. life experience. A seven year old yes. is not going to be able to do it because a seven year old hasn't been around long enough to acquire the life skills to know how his body works. He hasn't had a chance to read the manual. I'm 30 years old, almost 30 years old. And just the last few months, do I feel like, you know, I think I finally read the manual on my autistic brain. I think, I think I'm finally getting the hang of this thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I, like I've, I finally got the machine, the computer working properly. <laughs> I, 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 I finally got through it. And, yeah. and I'm 29. It might not take, take your child or children that long, but understand they're not going to get it when they're five. No five-year-old has adult level emotional or even teenage level emotional regulation skills. Though I would argue a lot of teenagers can't regulate emotions either. That's neither here nor there. Well, and I, I think that, um, you know, I, the reason I, I, the reason I'm, I think just always so bothered is because, you know, when I understand how the interoceptive system impacts emotional regulation and how, you know, that is a 
very high level learning about yourself and your body skill set. And, you know, one of the folks that I've really learned a lot about in regards to that and understanding that emotional regulation and the complications around it is Judy Endow. And I remember her talking about how that uh, red, green, blue, yellow zones of regulation um, really just teaches kids to give the answers that we want them to give, right? It's not really teaching them to understand their emotions because we attach their emotions. So the, I mean, I, we see it all the time. I don't know how many little kids you get to see, but I see a lot of parents interact with little kids and, and they'll send me videos and, 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 and they will say, oh, you're happy, you're happy. I don't know if he's happy or not, right? Does a smile mean that you're happy? Does a laugh mean that you're happy? Are you la- I mean, I'm not saying that we can't overgeneralize about emotions. What I'm saying is, I think that talking about emotions, yes, is important. Recognizing emotions is important, but I find that there is a lot of focus on emotional regulation today. And it's become one of the top goals and communication is not even a goal. And so if you can't communicate, how are you going to communicate what your emotions are if you actually do understand what your emotions are? And and I think that's where it's just really difficult for me because everyone talks about emotional regulation, emotional regulation. Oh, they need emotion regulate. I mean, I've had parents come to me and say, I want my child to stop regulate. I'm like, they're two, like they're two, like they are two years old. Does your husband self-regulate? Like, like, no, what like, they mean is I want my kids stop melting down. I that's know. Really what they mean. I know it's what they mean. And we talk through that and we get to that and we dig to that. But at the same time, the message is, is out there. And of course, that's why you and I are talking, because we need to shift the narrative around that expectation that children are to do things because it's more convenient for the adults around them but we need to recognize how do we help them navigate that? How do we support them and teach them to understand their body and if, what their body means for, um, you know, what does it mean to be anxious? I mean, that's a whole nother topic right there around the whole anxiousness that people have tagged onto kids. Um, I mean, at age one, like I hear parents say, always oh, really anxious. I'm like, okay, can we not say that about a one-year-old who is just maybe not wanting to go and leave the television to go out in the car. Um, you know, they're usually just, they're just their kids. But I think that um, I just, I just want everyone to recognize that emotional regulation is not something that we should have as a mandatory expectation for children. And it is something that we have to teach Um, But we also have to model it, right? We have to model it. So if you are a parent and you have a frustration level and, you know, there's usually one parent who has more patience or less patience than the other, and you need to be aware of that, right? And you need to be aware of, okay, this is not, I shouldn't be the person to pick up, you know, after school and run errands because I'm not the one as patient to be able to manage a meltdown if it happens in the grocery store and sort of set yourself up for success as well. Um, I don't know, Torin. This topic is really difficult for me because I, I have a lot of, a lot of um, energy about how we can help kids and I have a lot of frustration about what's being done and I have a lot of um, maybe subtle bitterness about the expectations that's being put on our children and our children are being punished and reprimanded for not being able to meet those expectations. 
I feel the same way. And I think a lot of it is also semantics. A lot of people don't know how to articulate how they actually feel. I'm not talking about autistic people. I'm talking yes. about everybody else. Yes. They don't know. So like you were saying, and like I said, when they say how I want my two-year-old to, to emotionally regulate, they mean I want them to stop having meltdowns. Yes. Like my, my, my one-year-old's really anxious. It, it means that they're kind of hyperactive and they get a little fussy when you take a, when you take away the tablet or something like that. They don't know how to articulate that. So what they're saying is I want them to um, regulate themselves emotionally. Mm-hmm. And that's not a bad thing. This is a learning experience for parents too. Yeah. Yes. One thing you mentioned about the color coding thing Another big issue is not only they tell you what they want, what, what they think you want them to hear. It's even another big issue is they're going to attach your reaction to their answer. So if they, if you say how you feel and they say they're an orange or red, like I'm an orange or red, and they're like, ah, oh, shit, damn it, what, what now? See, if you do that, they're going to know. Okay, don't answer that again yeah. because they got upset last time. Yeah. So they're just going to lie. Because people say autistic people can't lie. That's bullshit. Um, They will lie, especially if it's in sort of a self-preservation mode. Mm -hmm. So they'll just say, oh, I'm an an orange or I'm in green. They know that's what you want to hear. Because you you can't react badly when they tell you things you don't want to hear. They tell you that they're they're feeling anxious. If they don't have the words, they dysregulate. If you're talking to a five-year-old, they're not going to use words like dysregulate. They tell you however they communicate that, that they're anxious or they're upset. You can't get upset about that. You have to be calm and you have to do the steps necessary to bring that child back down. And you can't attach negative emotions to that child being honest with you about how they feel. Mm-hmm. And because they need to be, because that's how they're going to learn as adults is they need to be able to express it. Yeah. I think that um, what you said in regards to, um, you know, saying what the expectations are, you know, the majority of children, um, especially when they're younger, want to please their parents. And they learn to give the response parents are expecting. Um, The difference I think for our kiddos, um, our autistic individual kiddos is that it can become um, a crutch where they don't feel like they can say anything different, right? They they sort of get stuck in that. And and I don't mean to cut you off, but by the way, that's where a lot of the stuff like, oh, my child won't won't look me in the eye, won't hug me, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. And he, he, he... do they feel empathy? Can they feel love? You hear, you hear stuff mm-hmm. like that. It, it's because we pick up on that slower. So yes. that connection between a negative reaction and Tim telling you the truth. For a lot of autistic kids, it may take that happening a bunch of times before they connect two and two. Most neurotypical kids will relatively quickly realize, oh, I need to hug my mom. I need to say, look her in the eye. I need to say I love her because that's what she wants to hear. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're supposed to do. So you think, oh, see, they can, they can, they can feel love because they express it. With autistic kids, we might not express it or show it in the ways you want because we don't understand that's what you want to see. Yeah, but and, I, so I didn't mean to cut you off, but that that yeah. is a thing. No, you know, and and I, I, you know, I think about um, just the idea. You know, I guess I'll loop back to my my concept of we're human beings. And it's not fun to see kids upset. It's not fun to see our friends or our family members upset, but it's also part of, of life experiences and how we respond to that, you know, varies for each person. But, you know, simple things like, um, you know, I want my child to not get upset when we leave the park. Okay, children don't want to leave the park, right? In general, who wants to leave the park? 
nobody wants to leave the park. The difference is um, a lot of our kids don't have a way to communicate. I don't want to leave the park. Yes, some of them do. I'm not saying that all of our kids don't have a way to communicate. I'm saying that sometimes being able to express that is not always available. And so, you know, that's why we use visual supports and all those other things. But keeping in mind that it is understandable to be upset about having to stop and leave a preferred activity, right? And usually the park is something that most kids like. I mean, if you go to the park during high, you know, right before nap time, if you've ever been in a big city and you go to the park where all the, I always used to, you know, the the nannies, uh, you know, or all the kids in strollers and they're giving the kids the park time before uh, nap time. And uh, most kids are crying and screaming on the way to the car because nobody wants to leave the park. Now, with that, it's different with autistic kids. Oh, no, no, I'm no. sure there's a bunch of parents saying that right now. It's like, oh, yes. it's different with my kid. Yes. I'm not saying that it's not different. What I'm saying is, uh, my point, I guess, is we should be allowed to have emotions. We just have to help our kids navigate and express it and respond as they grow in a way that is less disruptive to them and less disruptive to those around them. And um, and I say this, Torn, because really people just don't want anyone to be upset. Like, And then they actually want kids to be happy about things that they're happy about. Um, I mean, I've literally had teachers tell me, I want them to enjoy doing math. Okay, I can't control someone enjoying something. Are they doing the math? Yes, but you know, they're kind of complaining about it. Are they getting it completed? Yes, but then they say, oh, I don't like math. Okay, so now you don't want them to communicate and express themselves, but they're doing the math. You know, I, I don't, I think that, you know, part of emotional regulation is also accepting that sometimes people, kids are just going to be frustrated, right? I'm not saying I want kids to have a meltdown. That's not what I'm saying. And I hope everybody understands that. I'm saying that we have to have the expectation that sometimes kids will get upset. And that is where the proactiveness comes in play. You know, leaving the park is difficult. What are you going to do to avoid your child having that emotional response and lessen their frustration as well, which of course lessens your frustration. Um, you know, and that's, you know, I'm always going to go back to understanding and knowing your kiddo, but thinking in terms of being proactive, teaching as they grow older, but also just embracing that sometimes emotions of frustration, tears, or sadness, or mad, or whatever, angry, whatever it is that we're feeling, um, it's just part of life, which is for me, just amazing that we can have those feelings. So what can, I think a lot of parents want to know, mm-hmm. what can they do to help their kids regulate their emotions, keep them from melting down, keep them getting really upset mm-hmm. when necessary tasks are done and things like that. Yes. What can they do to help their child not be bouncing off the walls, not be too hyperactive? Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Not be... To just not be extra, for lack of a better word. Of just course, not of, be course extra. of course. Is yes. there anything they can do to help them when they're in public, for example? There's lots that they can do. So, where's, um, so what are some of those things? Number one, of course, I always say, make sure your child has 
some method of communication in place, whatever that looks like, because at least they can communicate, not how I feel, but I don't want to stop. I'm not finished the game, whatever it is, right? That's simple. That's one basic one, but that is very, um, that's not a simple answer. Uh, the one that you have the most control over for the, or not the most control over the one that the strategy that you have, um, the quickest response to be helpful for your kiddo is to maintain their sensory regulation. If your sensory system is as regulated as possible, then you're able to respond to things in a much more or much less extra way, as Torin um, explained, which I kind of like the way you said that. So making sure that sensory regulation is in place, but also knowing what things you need to try to avoid as much as possible. If you know that there are certain scenarios that are going to give a response that are very frustrating, then while you're working on developing their skill set, you may need to hold off on that for a while while they build their skill set. Or, you know, sometimes you have to do lots and lots and lots of sensory input before you have to go to this experience, like a soccer game for their sibling. Um, you know, bring out all the sensory guns that you can bring out um, in terms of getting them prepared. And when I say avoid, um, avoid, what I'm saying is, uh, let's just use the example that I gave for the holidays. Know how long your child can tolerate all of that sensory information from all those people in the family. And that's going to involve some trial and error. Just to, unfortunately, yes. that's, that's going to, and what I mean by trial and error is you put them in a situation, they melt down and you're like, okay, so that's about the limit they can handle. So yes. next time we'll do less. There's kind of no shortcut to that. Yes. And, and, you know, I saw earlier today, there was a post that a mom had on one of the social media groups and she had her child and in a, the grocery cart and her kiddo was holding his hands over his ears. And I've seen her post this on several other occasions. And every time I see it, I say, oh, we could probably get some noise canceling headphones to help during the grocery store, right? And every time she says something to the effect of, oh yes, my child doesn't really like the noises in the grocery store. And I'm thinking, so why are we not supporting his needs? Now, holding your hands over your ears is perfectly fine, right? I have no trouble with that at all. However, now he can't look at the iPad, right? So then he gets frustrated because he can't hold his ears. He well, can't who wants back. to hold their hands up to their ears for- The whole time at the grocery store. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Where something so, like headphones is such an easy fix. Exactly. So that is a scenario where you know that that can be a situation and an environment that can be really taxing for your kiddo and their emotions can be a little like, oh, you know, maybe they're not really sure what's going to happen. So make sure you're proactive about going to the grocery store. And there's, you know, several or things. any sort of like event in public with bright oh, yes. lights and, stuff and loud sounds, yes. things like that. One yes. thing I want to bring up also is we focus a lot on the kids. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, and, and rightfully so to a large extent, a lot of talking about autism is focusing on the kids. Mm -hmm. But thing is, children, autistic or not, mirror their parents. They mirror mm -hmm. the people around. So if you as parents are bouncing off the walls, if you're getting very upset, if, mm -hmm. for example, my aunt has a thing where she tells people to calm down in a normal tone because she's upset. So you'll be talking in a normal tone because she's upset. She'll tell you to calm down. 
And like everyone tells her she does this. And because nothing is more like it's kind of annoying when someone tells you to calm down when you're not upset. Yes. Then you do get upset. That's just an example. So if you're not regulating your emotions, mm-hmm. your child, because any child is going to imitate that. Yes. So any sort of emotional regulation needs to start. And we should have let off with this with how you and your partner, whoever helps you parent, regulates themselves. Mm-hmm. And that involves being a bit honest. And if someone tells you, yes, you do X, Y, and Z, you, you got, if someone you trust, you got to sort of take that advice and implement changes because your child's not really going to be able to articulate that just like mm-hmm. no child would. So that's where you need to start. First of all, everything else is important, but you need to start with you and the example you're setting. And, and I'm glad we didn't start with that because I think it is important to close the loop of, in terms of it is the responsibility of us as the adults and the parents to model that emotional regulation, but also be aware of your own needs and the supports that you need to have in place because it can be really difficult when you don't have your own um, strategies in place for yourself as a parent. And then it kind of all uh, blows up. And, you know, it's really interesting that you say that, uh, Torn, because I know that I am um, always saying be proactive. And I think it's just part of it's my nature, part of it's my upbringing. And um, in in fact, I'll share really quickly today, uh, we're doing some renovations in the home and we had, you know, those big, huge glass mirrors uh, in the bathrooms, the big square rectangle ones that are the old style ones. And we needed to take it down. And so in order to minimize having any injuries or easy cleanup, right? I'm thinking all of that, right? I don't want to get cut. I don't want to have a big mess to clean up. So I was very, very proactive about how I went about it in terms of the taping and having a box underneath and then a blanket to catch anything that flew, like this whole system I had in place, right? Just to break this mirror up and to avoid any potential things that could happen. Um, Instead of just saying, I'm just going to, as, a, as, the la- as the ladies did on first time flipper, just throwing a hammer at it and letting the glass fly. I didn't want to do that, right? I wanted to have um, an easier and, and no injuries. And so thinking in terms of, now I'm trying to remember why I told that story. I told a story to talk about, I know well, I'm always being proactive and proactive. planning things yes. out. And you're someone who exactly. always plan things out. A lot of people aren't though. And I know, yes. You have to give yourself as a parent some grace because mm-hmm. especially if you're someone who doesn't plan things out and you might not recognize recognize that yes but you might be i know parents like that i have friends who are parents who are like they just sort of wing everything and that's just not gonna fly yeah and, and it doesn't no, fly no really, intended yeah and it really doesn't fly when you have an autistic kiddo to parent. exactly yeah, and it really you, it's fly. gonna be a learning process because mm-hmm. you have to carry you have to go through the world differently than you mm-hmm. have for your entire life Mm -hmm. and just like with emotional regulation you need to identify what helps you regulate emotionally because adults the reason we talk about emotional regulation in autistic people is because we often don't have the skill the self skills everyone emotionally regulates just most people have some sort of skills some Mm -hmm. people don't do it very well some people Mm -hmm. do it by with substance abuse for example Mm -hmm. some people do it by completely withdrawing they don't handle it well, but those are considered more socially acceptable ways. It's supposed mm-hmm. to impl- exploding. So you need to find what helps you because you need to stay emotionally regulated. And obviously you won't the entire time. You're going to feel stressed. You're going to feel tired. You're going to have bad days. 
you have like you gotta give yourself grace. But at the same time, your standard for your parenting should be that you need to be calm, you need to be proactive. That needs to be what you strive for every day. Even if you're not making it every single day, that needs to be what you're striving for. I, I also think that emotional regulation looks different in every culture. And, oh, and I yes, know, yes, 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 of course. Yes. I, I, I work with a lot of families um, around, uh, across the globe, however we say it. But, uh, you know, I, uh, what would I call this? Uh, a side note, when I first went to college, I wanted to be an anthropologist because I wanted to study people because I love people. Um, I feel like I'm an anthropologist uh, now, but in a different kind of way. But one of the things that I always found was really fascinating was how every culture had a different way of responding to death. And one of the things that I thought was so amazing was cultures where a woman who lost a child or a husband was actually allowed to wallow and grieve for a week or two or three weeks as long as she needed and didn't have to pick up her bootstraps and move on. And I remember saying to my dad, God, that's so amazing that like, they're actually allowed to like be within their feelings, right? And like, and, and, and accept that pain and, and express it. And then they're done. And then there are other cultures where, you know, you don't say anything, you're just very quiet, you don't express anything. And and I just always found it interesting that as human beings, we have an innate, uh, everybody's individual, right? In any in innate way, um, individualized of responding to certain things emotionally and we're impacted differently emotionally, but we're taught based on our culture as to how we should respond. And um, just really interesting, really interesting. Uh, it is um, how, how that's a whole nother podcast, how autism and autism care and parenting manifests itself in different mm-hmm. cultures. That's, oh, yeah. that's always that that's probably a podcast for a different day, but it is a good point. I obviously I come from a very uh, American centric because I'm American. We believe that everyone just does what we do because we have our heads up, you know, where. <laughs> so I'm glad you came in with your multiculturalism. I, I, I think it's one of the things that that always fascinated me is how you are allowed to respond to certain situations based on where you were raised. Um, Whether it's culturally within your family, whether it's culturally within your religion or your geographic uh, environment, Um, just really interesting, which is why I always think it's really funny now that I know more and I know better um, in regards to the zones of regulation, because I'm thinking this zones of regulation would not be the same for someone in another country or another religion. And- exactly. And I'm glad you brought that up, the zones of regulation one last time, because another point I'd like to make is everyone's goal is to get their child in green, but the green means perfectly regulated or close to it. How many times do you, as a person, just wake up in the morning and be like, you know what? I feel perfect. I feel really great. No, <laughs> odds are, just as you're a parent, you're waking up every morning. You're just like, oh, God. Like, your alarm goes off. You slap your arm. God. Oh, today it's going to be a rough one. That's most of your days. Let's be honest. That is most of your days. You wake up, your back hurts. Your knees hurt. Something hurts. You're over 30 years old. Something hurts. <laughs> you're over 25. Something hurts. You wake up. Like, like there's always something, almost always something, you know, when you're having a good day, because it's not the average, 
mm-hmm. you know, like today was a really good day because it doesn't happen every single day. Mm-hmm. So for autistic people, same way, we're we're lucky if we're in orange. We're basically almost always kind of sort of dysregulated. That's for a lot of us, that's our default, mm-hmm. unfortunately. So the idea is keeping us from getting really dysregulated. Yeah. You want to get us, you want to help us come close to green, but understand that for us to be in green, that's just us having a really good day. Your goal as a parent, as a teacher, as a caregiver, as a therapist is to keep us from getting in the red. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and how do we do that? We support their needs. Exactly. Needs. Whatever those needs are, we support those needs. Um, and, you know, I know that it's tough when, when parents have to, uh, I'll use the word that you said earlier, um, do something a little extra, right? Um, uh, parenting an autistic child is different from parenting a child who is not autistic, but also, uh, and, and I'm not making light of having a child with an autism diagnosis, but every child that parents have, they're all different. Parenting a child who is very strong-willed is a different than parenting a child who's very laid back. Um, you know, parenting a child who's very competitive by nature is a different way of parenting than parenting a child who's like, well, whatever. So it, it's work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Parenting is work. So straight yes. up, parenting is work yes. regardless. It's it work. Is. There's, there's no shortcuts to this. You've made that decision and it's rewarding, but, but it's work. Yeah. And, and it's extra, it's extra work when you have a kiddo with autism or or more than one child who's autistic. And, um, did I just say a kid with autism? Woo. That was my brain going way back. It's not that everyone, everyone gets their pains in a bunch. It's not the worst thing in the world to say a child with autism. I know. I know. It's not the end of the world. Just remember Autism is a podcast for, for another day. Autism is part of who they are for better or for worse. Yes. There's no separating the person from the autism. That's like separating the eggs from a cake that's already been baked. Yeah. Yeah. And I always, I always remember, you know, I was very fortunate as a speech therapist to have some really good experiences in the deaf community. And I remember that being explained to me that I am a deaf person. We have a deaf culture and I am not a person with deafness, right? Which I'm like, oh, that makes sense. And, you know, so it was easy for me to understand uh, the autistic identity concept. Yeah, which is great. I think we should bring this, we should bring this one in because we're both sort of drifting off into other topics <laughs> for the last 10 minutes or so. So this is supposed to be about emotional regulation. I think we both said our piece. Uh, we both made some, some good points, I think. I think you made some excellent points. So just to sum it all up, basically, emotional regulation, while it's important, don't hold your kids to too high of a standard. Don't hold them to the standard of their worst day, even though it's tempting. Be proactive. Mm-hmm. And remember that this is training them to be an adult that can function in, quote, unquote, the real world. And yes, that is a real thing. So, and that takes time. Your seven-year-old is not going to be have perfect emotional regulation. You'll be lucky if they have any at all if you've ever worked with first or second graders. So it's a long process, but that's what parenting is. You're teaching your child to be an adult. And that's a process that is supposed to take about 18 years. In America, it takes more like 30, but that's not even <laughs> there. And, and, and we do know that the, there's a lot of pressure from the schools. So a lot of parents feel, you know, sort of like that pressure, but I will say my final words, which I'm going to steal from Torin is... 
uh, give your kids a little grace and understand, but also give yourself a little grace in regards to emotional regulation and just know it's a process and it's a learning process of trial and error and it is hard work and it can be inconsistent, but uh, your kiddo will get there if they're supported, support their needs. All right, Torin, thanks for having this conversation with me today. It's been weighing on me heavily. We will revisit it as well. Oh, definitely. All right. Uh, I guess we are done.